Um, actually, let's, let's read God's word and then we'll pray. The, uh, this is Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we're starting verse 1 going to verse 16. This is God's word. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and also Abel, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering... He had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. You must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Let's pray together. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word speaks to our hearts. We pray that you would uh, give us your Holy Spirit as our teacher to reveal our hearts, and also to reveal to us, to open up to us, your grace, and that we might come to you and find that you are indeed our good, and that our, uh, our hearts would be at rest, would be at ease in your presence, and we would be amazed at, at your love, uh, your patience, your grace uh, that you show us in this passage. So be our teacher now. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So um, over the month of October, we've been, kind of, we've been looking at Genesis chapter 3. It's kind of been a mini-series in Genesis 1 to 11 about sin. And, uh, you know, you talk, we've talked about what are kind of the indicators of a sinful heart and uh, what are the effects of sin. How does God deal with sin? How does sin affect men and women differently. And uh, here we're kind of, in the end of October, we're, we come to kind of a climactic passage as Adam and Eve's children. Uh, this story of, of Cain and Abel, you know, where brother murders his brother. And it's kind of the, the, the climax of, of the damage that sin has, has done in the world. And, you know, this is a really pregnant story. And um, one of the main things that this passage shows us is the danger of a religious life. Um, you know, many people think that, the, uh, that what the Bible teaches is that there's essentially two different kinds of people in the world. There's, you know, there's good people who, uh, they obey God, they believe in God, they go to church, they do good things. 
And then there are bad people who kind of live wildly and, and do whatever they want. And there's no boundaries, no fences. No, the world's kind of good, good and bad. There's basically religious or irreligious kind of people. Um, but one of the things that's fascinating about this story is that Cain and Abel, about Cain and Abel, is that it's not the story about, you know, it's Abel's kind of gives a good offering to God. Cain gives one that God doesn't regard. It's not really a story about uh, Abel, who's kind of the good good Christian boy, goes to Sunday school, reads his Bible, and uh, Cain is, uh, you know, he's out uh, beer bong in strip clubs. You know, he's the kind of wild, uh, wild one. Cain, Cain and Abel, they're kind of the religious and irreligious. That's not what it is. They're actually both worshipers of God. I mean, we might say that, you know, they're both Christians. They're, they're both People who come to church, go to church every week. Um, and, and yet, uh, and, you know, you can see this actually. Uh, let's just read again, starting in verse 1. And now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat, uh, fat portions. Cain and Abel who are two people who on the outside look very similar. Right? They're both, you know, uh, Cain is a farmer, so he brings some, the fruit of the ground as his offering. That's what he has to give. It's per, the Bible says it's a perfectly legitimate offering. Uh, Abel is a shepherd, and so he brings the firstborn of his flock. That's what he brings. There's... Uh, on the surface, they're both worshipers. They're both people who are, who are kind of coming after God. And yet we find out in this passage that inside, these two people are frighteningly different. One of them is a murderer. These are two people who are, they're both religious people. They're not irreligious and religious. They're both religious people, and one of them is a murderer. And what this tells us is that there's actually, there's not two different kinds of people uh, in the world. That actually, there are two ways of rejecting God and saying, telling God, I don't, want to, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you as my Savior. There's two ways. There's an irreligious way and there's a religious way. And the third way is something different that we find in Jesus. And, uh, and what the Bible actually, you know, in fact, if, you, if you've ever complained kind of that uh, Christians are hypocrites, you, you know, that, that's a common complaint we hear. Well, the Bible says that um, it is just as easy to reject God as a religious person as an irreligious person. The Bible says that. There's gonna, you're going to find just as many people rejecting God as a religious person as an irreligious person. So you'd expect to find uh, Christian hypocrites. You would expect to find that. And so um, I want to kind of um, unpack this, uh, that in avoiding both of these errors, we go to Jesus, and we find, we find who Jesus is. We find what... Uh, truly walking with God is in Christ. And so to kind of help us understand this, I want to um, think through three things about this passage. The first is the poison of religion. The poison of religion. Second, the crouching beast of sin. And third, the unimaginable grace of God. And so, you know, hopefully these these three points will lead us us to Jesus. So, So first, the poison... um, the poison of religion. Now, actually, generally speaking, the Bible, when the Bible uses that word religion, it's generally a kind of negative uh, connotation. I mean, there's a few places where it has a positive connotation, but, um, you know, kind of the, the best summary of the fraud of, of a religious life, Jesus quotes Isaiah 29 when he said, this, this people honors me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. 
People honors me with their mouth, but their hearts are far from me. There's a, a, you know, religion has a, an external kind of show of devotion and love for God, um, and yet internally, uh, there's, there's no, their hearts are far from God. And um, this passage kind of gives us a number of red flags. You know, how do, how do I know if I'm, you know, we're all, we all have some of this happening in us. How, how do I be aware of that kind of religiousness, that external show? What are some markers of it? And so there are a few that uh, this passage gives us. And the first is that um, a religious life is kind of coldly cooperative towards God. It's kind of cooperative. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll, do, I'll do my duty. Now, um, you can see this kind of cold cooperation with Cain and Abel, that they're both, you know, they're both doing their duty. They bring their offerings. They're coming to church. They're coming to worship God, bring their offerings. And uh, there's kind of a subtle difference that Cain brings the fruit of, uh, of the land, you know, fruit of the land. And it says that Abel brought um, the firstborn of his flock and, uh, and the fat portions. And what you see in Abel is there's this certain amount of kind of carefreeness uh, in Abel. He's not holding on to his possessions. He's, he's kind of reckless with his offerings to God. He's like, take the best. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not being careful about managing his resources. He's like, just take the best. Take it. Have it. I, you know, and, and what this shows is this subtle difference shows a little difference between uh, what's happening inside with Cain and Abel. You know, uh, Cain has this kind of uh, uh, sense of duty. Okay, God, I'm going to give you, uh, I'm going to give you the fruit of the land. That's what I'm supposed to do. So here's the fruit of the land. And Abel says, he's kind of, I, I just, I'm amazed at God's love for me. And look at here, have all that I have. And so, you know, uh, one of the, um, uh, and this is what it says, actually. Um, um, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. And so, um, why, you know, why is Cain angry? He's angry, he... Uh, you know, the essence of a religious life is that, the, you know, my, my relationship with God kind of works like this. I'm going to do my duties, and then uh, I'm gonna, I have my obligations. I'm going to cooperate with God with what you want, and then you're going to owe me my wages for the things that I've done. I've done good things. It's kind of like an employer-employee relationship, as opposed to kind of this loving exchange of, of gratitude and love and blessing back and forth. It's, a, it's an employer and employee uh, arrangement. And uh, one of the best, you know, one of the best... You know, kind of illustrations of this kind of cooperate. I'm willing to cooperate with you. I'm willing to do my duties, but not a real love for God. As, you know, Jesus tells this famous story about the, uh, the two sons or the prodigal son, uh, where uh, the, you know, the young son tells his father, I, hey, I want my, my inheritance now. I'm gonna, and he goes off, and he goes off to a far country, and he blows it on, uh, you know, I don't know what it'd be comparable to, gambling and prostitutes or drinking, going out to bars and stuff like blows his blows his inheritance, comes back and says, God, you know, Father, let me just be a servant in your house. And the father welcomes him and he, war- he, he uh, throws a party for him and, and embraces him and reinstates him as a son. And the, the, uh, the older brother comes back and he hears there's this party going on for his younger brother. And this is, this is what Jesus says in the parable. Uh, the older brother says about, um, about the father, look these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Right? What's he saying? I've, I've done my duty. I've, done, I've earned my wages. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, 
who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. What is he saying to his father? He's saying, I've done my duties. I've earned my wages. And now you owe me. And uh, that's, that's a sad part of a religious life, is a religious life actually begins to think that God owes us. God is indebted to us for our good deeds that we've done. And uh, one, of, you know, one of the things that we see in, uh, both in the prodigal son and in Cain and Abel is what that kind of attitude towards God creates in us is a sense of competitiveness, that we're competing with other people. Um, and, the reason, uh, and the reason for that is that if you think that, um, you know, that your relationship with God kind of works in terms of, uh, you know, I do my duties and then God, uh, God pays, pays me my due wage, then a big concern for you is that God's paying out fair wages, right? That um, God's paying things out uh, fair. And instead of Cain, you know, Cain, Cain and Abel come and they bring their offerings and God looks at Abel and says, regard, it says he regards Abel and his offering. Instead of Cain saying, well, you know, well done, little brother, you know, Good job. You know, God's blessed you. I'm happy for you. No, he's angry. It's a competition. It's because he's saying, I've done my duty. Where's my, where are my wages? And, um, and what happens is that if you, um, in God's, you know, God's grace is, you know, the kind of the central character that we see of God just throughout the Bible is God being gracious, patient. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't get God's grace, then there's going to be this a competitiveness and a sense of unfairness that you're going to see all over the place. You know, if you take my life, for example, my, you know, I'm a, uh, I, I was a, I treated my parents terribly, walked out on them, disobeyed them. I treated my peers at school, I mean, terribly, ways that I'm ashamed of. I, you know, on drugs, dropping out of school, leaving home, breaking the law probably every day. And what does God do to me? He gives me a new life. He uh, I, I changes my life. Gives me, I have a family. I have a wonderful wife who loves Jesus. I have children. Um, he lets me go to seminary, study his word. He lets me be a pastor. And you say, you know, if you're saying we should do our duties and God, uh, and we should get the wages for our duties, you look at my life, you say it's not fair. Look, you know, Nate Walker is this punk, stoner, selfish kid, and God just gives him all this stuff? What? That's not fair. I, you know, and, so, and someone else may say, I've, I've done my duties. This, this is not fair. This is not the arrangements because they don't understand the arrangement of grace. And, uh, and you know, if you understand that my whole relationship with God is, is, is just free gifts, free gifts of God, free, God's blessing is free, that I come to him empty-handed, then whether I'm blessed or whether someone else is blessed, all I can say is, isn't God amazing that God blesses people this way and loves them and gives free gifts on them even though they don't deserve it even though they don't deserve it and uh, and so the religious life is a poison you can see it creates that competitiveness it's cold it's competitive and there's one uh, and one other aspect that we see of a religious life in here is that a religious life is confessionless I don't, I don't know if confessionless is a word but confessionless uh, look, you know, look again at what this passage says verse 8 Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So here's, you know, here's the beginning of all the violence and brutality that we've seen in the world. It starts here with a brother killing his brother in cold blood. And it goes on, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? He's asking, he's inviting Cain to come and confess his sin. And he says this, I don't know. I do not know. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Cain refuses to confess this. He's confessionless. And uh, what a religious life will do, you know, what it, what it would do to a church like ours, if that's the way that we understand what we're doing with God right now is that we're doing our duties and that God's going to uh, pay the, the appropriate wages for our duties, is uh, then, we, then we're going to have to put on a show of being good people. We're going to have to do that. There's not going to be a, an openness with one another of, look at my messy life. Look at my sin. Look at the shameful things that are in my heart. Look, and, and, uh, and opening up to one another. There's none of that. There's no, conf- there's no confession of sin because I'm guarding the fact that I'm saved by my works. I'm saved by, by the good things that I do. And I'm not free to say, um, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've, been, I've been failing as a, as a dad or I'm struggling with lust or, or, uh, or envy. I'm deeply envious of people or I'm bitter. I have this bitterness wrapped up in my heart of someone at work. Whatever it is, we have to maintain a show. A religious life needs to maintain a show of being a good, uh, of a good person. And so ultimately, the problem with the religious life doesn't get inside, right? It's all, it's all superficial. It doesn't get into our hearts. And, um, one of the, uh, and what God wants is God wants our hearts. He doesn't want duties from us. He wants our hearts. He wants uh, our insides, our devo- you know, real sense of our hearts. And that's why we, what we see with God in this passage is a persistence to go after Cain and to open up his heart. And, um, and so this kind of leads into our second point. So first we see the, uh, the poison of religion. But this passage also shows us the crouching beast of sin. Now some of them might say... Okay, I get this. I get religion is superficial, you know, doing these duties for God. But isn't that really what the Bible is about? You do good things. I mean, isn't that even what's in this text? You know, look, look at verse 7. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Isn't God saying, if you do good things, then I'm, you're going to get rewarded with acceptance. Isn't that, isn't that the arrangement that God has? And Abel did the right thing and Cain did the, did the wrong thing? Well, um, you can see that he, uh, he goes on to describe what doing well is. And the way he does that is he, he also says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you and you must rule over it. You can see that God is like, he's like a pastor to Cain. He's not talking about his offering and, and uh, what he brought. Was that a legitimate offering? He's getting to his heart that the problem is not, you know, what he's, his duties that he's doing, but it is the problem what was, what was in his heart, sin. And, um, and there's two things that, this, you know, this is just a pregnant little passage. Um, two things that this says about Cain's heart. First of all, um, that sin is crouching. You know, the, the picture here is, is kind of like a cat or, you know, a lion or a tiger, uh, crouching down, uh, hiding itself, about to pounce, you know, like Animal Planet, the little antelopes, you know, getting drink of water. Um, and over the brush, you just see the eyes of the, the, the lion looking kind of like, oh, I'm not up to much. I'm just, I'm, cr- you know, kind of crouching, ready to prance. And the antelope's like, oh, just a, just a little kitty cat over there. And, uh, and all of a sudden, bam, you know, the, the cat's, uh, the cat's on him. And, and, and one of the things that God is saying to, to Cain is sin wants to look small. Sin wants you to think it's small. It crouches down and it makes itself, it hides itself and says, look, I, I'm not that significant. You know, it says, it says you know, you're, I'm not a workaholic. I'm a, you know, I'm just diligent. I'm, I'm, I, 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 I'm serious about my work. Or, 
you know, I'm not, I'm not, I don't slander people. I don't, I don't talk bad about people. I just, I, I need to get it off my chest. If I, if I bottle up my emotions, then, uh, then, then that, you know, I need to get it out. I need to express my emotions. You know, I'm not talking bad about people. I just need to get, get this off my chest. Or, um, or the, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a harsh dad. I, I'm just, I'm holding my kids to uh, biblical standards. It's small. And, and may, sin is crouching. It wants us to say, oh, it's not that big a deal. It's a small thing. And, uh, and in the case of Cain, um, you know, a religious person is unwilling to acknowledge a sin, acknowledge that it's there. It wants it to, to, to see that it's small. It lets it crouch. And in the case of, of Cain, this sin finally erupts. You know, uh, many uh, commentators kind of disagree. Was, was Cain's murder of Abel, was this a premeditated murder? Did, they, did he... You know, bring him out to the field, kind of set everything up so that he could murder him. I, I tend to think it wasn't. And, um, look, and this is why. Look at, look at verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. So I think, you know, Cain has this show of religion, show of I'm a devout person, but all of a sudden when they're on the field, no one's looking, there's an opportunity for the sin to kind of erupt and, and take advantage. It jumps out, and it just, all of a sudden, his brother's dead. Uh, he, didn't, he wasn't addressing it, and all of a sudden, it, it just came out at him. And uh, the question I have for you is, you, you got, I mean, we have to ask, what, what, is, what sins are we saying are small? What sins in our life that the Lord is giving us a prodding at, that, that this is something you need to deal with, and we're blowing it off and saying, it's just this, it's just small, uh, it's, it's not that big a deal. It's, this isn't really a sin. And what that's doing is it's growing. It's a crouching beast. And, and, and the second thing that this passage tells us about you know, a crouching sin is that, is that it is a beast that needs to be tamed. You know, sin is crouching at your door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. Um, and the image is kind of a wild animal. Uh, you know, how do, and how do you tame, you know, how do you tame a wild animal? I, I was, as I was getting ready for this passage and kind of meditating on this passage, I was thinking about, you know, if you, if you have a wild horse or a dog um, that's kind of crazy and you want to tame it, you don't put it in a cage, right? You don't tie it up. You don't try to wrestle it into submission. I mean, if you do that, you take a horse and you, you know, you lock it up. What, is that going to tame the animal or is it going to make it crazier? It's going to make it, I mean, it's going to contain it for a little bit, but it's going to make it wilder. It's going to want to come out and uh, it's going to make it vicious, the fact is, is that that's what a religious life does that isn't dealing with the, the, the sin in our hearts is it tries to take a wild beast and put a cage on it. And what a cage will do will contain an animal for a little while, but uh, that animal gets a chance to get out. It's going gonna, it's gonna spring, to spring out, and it's going to be vicious. It's going to attack. And that's what we have happening with Cain. And um, the question... Uh, um, and, you know, our, our, our culture will say, you know, that, that's why, that's the problem with religion. So, you know, we got these wild horses in us that we got to let free. And, and uh, religion is caging up the horse saying, don't do this. You got to follow these rules. Don't be yourself. And, uh, and it's saying, we got to let, the, we gotta let the, the horse run free. Let it out. Run wild. But, you know, if you, if you, have, if you have pets, you have horses, dogs, you know, some of you, I, I, I actually, I don't have pets. But, you know, I see people who love their dogs. And you ask, where, you know, where is a horse or a dog kind of most noble? Where, where is a horse or a dog most itself? 
is it out kind of scavenging for food, uh, kind of running wild, uh, crazy-eyed, you know, by itself? Or is it when you, know, you bring, bring the dog or the horse into a family, it's around a human, it's loved, it's nurtured, it has a loving master, what happens? You know, a dog, a dog actually begins to, like, take on human kind of attributes, right? It becomes, it, it's tamed. It becomes, you know, they, they kind of smile, they seem to get jokes, and they kind of have a sense of humor and stuff like that. And they're, beca- they're becoming like the family, and they're radical, they're transformation from what they are as a wild dog. And what our world thinks is there's two options. You either cage up, you either cage up the dog, or you, run, you let it run free. And what the gospel says is that what our hearts need is not to be caged up and not to be running free, but our hearts need a loving master who's going to come and approach us in gentleness. And that's what's going to tame us. That's what's going to make us noble. That's what's going to um, uh, ease our hearts and change us. And that leads to our, our last point, that this passage uh, shows the unimaginable grace of God. You know, and, and you see that, uh, you know that movie Sea Biscuit, right? I, there's a lot of movies like that. I feel like horse movies where the horse is kind of wild and there's the one person who can come and kind of, uh, you know, easy boy, you know, I, I understand you. You know, I'm wild, I'm wild too, and we can, and we can have a connection, right? And the one person comes and kind of, can kind of, and then finally rides them, and then and they have this bond, there's this relationship. And, there, and what you find is a horse, you try, to be, you try to get tough with the horse, say, I'm going I'm to wrestle you into submission, that, bad idea, right? Uh, but if you, there's a gentleness that happens. In, in the taming of a horse. And that's, that's what you see God doing with Cain. He's saying, Cain, you have a wild animal in, in your heart. That's what your heart is. It's a wild animal. You cannot control it. And what he does is he approaches this violent Cain so gently. I mean, you do not see this cosmic policeman in God that's coming, I'm going to bring the rules, I'm going to bring down the law. You don't see that. Look at his first question. Where's your brother? I mean, God knows what happened. That's why he's there. Where's your brother? And as uh, you know, Cain refuses to confess uh, his sin, the Lord essentially says, you know, you want to be cut off from your brother? That's, that's what you get. Um, you wanted to be cut off from your family, be cut off from the land uh, by murdering your brother? That's what's going to happen. You're going to be a wanderer in the land. And, uh, and so God does not leave Cain's kind of wickedness unjudged. But look at, his, look at God's responsiveness to Cain. Cain says in verse 13, My judgment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. So he, he's still not repentant. He's still not talking about his sin. He's saying, ah, I don't like these consequences. They're too big for me. I mean, he's still got this proud heart. And the Lord, says, the Lord says to him, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance, vengeance, vengeance. Sorry, you know, I ate this. Thing from my throat that like numbs my mouth and my tongue isn't is numb and I can't get it on some of these words. Okay, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. God promises to be Cain's protector. God promises to protect the murderer. That's look at how gentle he's coming to him to tame him, and and he's bringing himself. And then this is amazing. It says, it goes on to say that the Lord put a mark. On Cain. Now, you know, when I, when I was first a Christian reading the Bible, I was like, what's the mark of Cain? I thought it was like, you know, a tattoo, like on some evil guy that, you know, Halloween kind of 
costume, the mark of Cain. Um, but, you know, this word for mark is the same word that's used, uh, it's the word for sign. So later in Genesis, there's going to be the rainbow that God's going to tell the Noah, this is a sign that I'm never going uh, to destroy the earth again with a flood. And it's the, it's the same uh, image for circumcision later that God puts on his people as a mark of his love for them, that you are my special people. God puts on this murderer, this hard-hearted religious murderer, his mark of I'm never going to leave you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your protector. And uh, you are going to be mine. And so what you have is with Abel's blood crying out in the ground for, uh, for justice. Look at how gracious God is in the midst of Abel's blood crying out to him for justice. Look at how gracious and patient and gentle he is with Cain. How much care he has not just for justice but for the sinner too. And let me ask you. You know, we're religious religious people, all those things, we, we are cooperative, we're confessionless, we're competitive, we're all those things. How gracious is God going to be with us? That you know, Whose blood is crying out for us? Not the blood of Cain, but the blood of Jesus is crying out not for justice, it's crying out to forgive, show mercy on those sinners, forgive them, redeem them. And how, how, much, how much more gentle is God going to approach you? And let me just tell you that that's the difference between the gospel and religion. Because when you hear that and you say, look at all the things that I am and look at how tender and patiently God and gently God approaches me and look at the forgiveness that I have in Christ, that begins to tame us. And it's not putting our hearts in a, in a cage of, of rules and, uh, and religion saying, do all these things and you'll be a new person. That will never change you. It will only make your heart worse. It will make your heart more violent. It will make your heart more vicious. But when God approaches you like this in the gospel in Christ, it changes you, it tames you like a master, a loving master coming, coming to his dog, coming to his horse. And it actually makes us into new people. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you. We are amazed that here in this brutality, we see that you are both just and yet you are not a cosmic policeman, but that you come to Cain and are... Uh, gentle and tender towards him. And Lord, how many times we've seen that you are that way with us. Would you soften our hearts that we would come to you with our offerings, with our lives, um, with our gifts, and give them to you because we are amazed at your goodness, not because uh, we are trying to earn your wages, because we know that we come to you empty-handed and that all that we have comes as a gift from your hand. And Lord, in, as we believe that, would you make us into a community that we, that we are not confessionless, that we confess our sin to one another. We are open and our messy lives are open before one another. And that there would be a, an, a, a gentleness with one another. And uh, that you would, through that, actually change us and make us more like Jesus. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.